Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We're going to receive communion this morning. And uh, so I want to I teach a little on it. Uh, and then if we have time, I want to do one other thing. So this is kind of your, your buffet this morning. Communion is a covenant meal. It's a covenant ceremony. Now, we as Westerners are a little, we're, we're somewhat of a disadvantage when it comes to covenant because we don't think of covenant. The only real covenant that we have left is the covenant of marriage. And then, you know, in Christian circles, we use that terminology, but a lot of times as believers, we're not really familiar with what that term means. Covenant was really a fixture. It was, it was the foundation of ancient society. It's what put the civil in civilization. It was the cultural glue that kept cultures together. The whole purpose of covenant is to facilitate trust among people. It's really the opposite. A lot of times people will tell, yeah, we have that. We have contracts. No, that, that is the exact opposite. The reason we have contracts is because we don't trust each other. So we say, I'm going to have you sign this, and I'm going to have it notarized so I can drag your hiney into court if you don't deliver on what you promised. That's contracts. Covenant is really based on trust, and that's why we're, we enter into not the contract of marriage. Matter of fact, as a side issue, ladies, if he wants you to sign a prenup, run. It's not a contract. It's a, it's a covenant. And so Jesus, on the night before his death, he gathered the disciples, and they had this covenant meal. And he was really transitioning the Passover meal into the Lord's Supper. It was this covenant activity. And so when Jesus sat down with his disciples, he had the bread, they ate their meal and they had the bread and the wine. And he, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he passed it out. And we know from scripture that when his body was broken a few hours later, when he was whipped at the whipping post, it was for our healing. It, scripture says very clearly, by his stripes we are healed. He could have purchased our eternal salvation by just going straight to the cross and skipping the, the trauma, the torment, all that he went through at the whipping post. But it's at the whipping post that he really did purchase not only our physical healing, but our emotional healing. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, Isaiah said. And so the lifting off of that, that, that man of God down in Colombia and the lifting off of the trauma off that woman in Brazil was because of the whipping post. Jesus went through trauma so that we could be relieved of the effects of our trauma. And he went through his body being shredded and his, his nerves and his bones being exposed at the whipping post so that you and I could be relieved of physical, our physical maladies so that we could receive physical healing. And then he went to the cross. And that was represented in the cup when Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The idea of covenant, literally the Greek word for covenant means to cut. 
It, 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 the idea behind covenant was making two parties, whether it could be two nations, two tribes, two families, or two individuals, one. That is the, the whole goal of it, but it's the way to achieve that oneness is through securing trust, and that is the purpose of covenant. And it's important that we understand this because we can go through the motions of receiving communion and not really understand what we're doing. So again, let me say it this way. Covenant is making two parties one through securing trust. That's the one side of it. The flip side is, is removing doubt. So how do you remove doubt? It's to so convince your covenant party of your intentions that they can drop their guard and be one with you. We know that in marriage, there's a oneness that begins before we take the vows and continues over time as we get to know one another better and better. We drop our guard and that facilitates that oneness. That is the purpose of covenant. It's to remove the doubts by removing all doubts about our partner's intentions in the covenant relationship. And so covenant, all down through history, always entailed these radical ceremonies. You know, very, very radical things. There was uh, one of the things, and it's alluded to in the book of Jeremiah, it talks about you walked through the pieces. What that is is a reference Uh, And we see it show up again. I want to say it's in Genesis 16 where Abram says to God, he said, God, God promises him, you'll have children as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. And Abram says, Lord, how can I know that this will be? And the Lord said, go get a sacrifice. And so Abram goes and gets this sacrifice and he prepares the sacrifice by dividing the hindquarters from the the forequarters and he lays it out on the ground and it's he's preparing a covenant ceremony but in this scenario it's different because he just prepares it but he doesn't enact the covenant he it's like he's prepared the, the sacrifice but he doesn't doesn't move on in the ceremony and in this strange picture Abram is guarding the sacrifice, and it says the birds of the air begin to pick at the, the, the meat of the sacrifice, and Abram shoes it away, and he, but he's just guarding it, but he's not doing anything more. And if you understand the idea behind what Abraham's prepared, you'll understand why Abraham didn't move on into the covenant ceremony. Because the idea was they would call it walking through the pieces, it was even referred to as the valley of blood. They would put it in a, uh, the, 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 the four quarters and the hind quarters, and they would walk in a circular eight pattern. And often the blood, this, like I said, it's a radical ceremony. It's so much gross. But the blood would congeal among the meat, and they would walk through that bloody path in a circular eight pattern. It was called walking through the pieces. You can find it, a, a reference to it in the book of Jeremiah. And that's what Abraham was setting up. But Abraham didn't step into the pieces. He just prepares it, and then he shoes the birds of the air away from it. He's protecting it, but he can't enact it. 
Because the idea behind this ceremony is they would walk through the, the circular pattern and then they would stand in what was known as the valley of blood between all the pieces and they would make vows of the covenant. And they would say things like, my weapons are your weapons. Your enemies are my enemies. My riches are your riches. Anybody comes after you, they've come after me. If they bless you, they've blessed me. If they curse you, they've cursed me. I will protect you with my life. We have become one. And after they made the vows of the covenant, then they would call down curses upon themselves. That's why in Deuteronomy 28, we see the blessings of the covenant and the curses of the covenant. Because this was common covenant ceremony material. And so then they would call down curses on themselves and they would say something to the effect of, so be it unto me as was done unto this animal if I do not fulfill the, my vows of this covenant. And so when Abraham asked God, he said, God, how, how are we going to know? How, how do I know? How is this going to happen? How is this going to work? Lord, I, I, I don't, how could I have children as many as the sands of the sea when I, we've not even been able to conceive? And God says, bring the animal to me. And what God is saying is I'm inviting you into covenant, but Abraham intuitively knew I can't enter into covenant with God because I would bring curses on myself. There's no way I could be as faithful as God to covenant. And so Abraham waits and it says that Abraham went into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping, that he went into this visionary dream experience where there was a smoking fire pot, a, a furnace, a, 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 a torch that went through a circular pattern through the pieces. And what it was is God cutting covenant with himself. It's a picture of Jesus entering into covenant with the Father on our behalf. Matter of fact, if you look in the book of Revelation, Jesus shows up with fire in his eyes and his feet like burnished bronze. It's reminiscent of this picture of what Abraham saw going through the pieces. And the Lord began to declare covenant over Abraham. And it was God cutting covenant with himself. And Abraham would just enter into God's covenantal commitment. And so when Jesus sets the disciples down and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. He's inviting them into the covenant he is cutting with the Father. He was the sacrificial lamb, but he was also the high priest that would present the blood sacrifice to the Father. Jesus made a commitment to live in fidelity to the Father, and he did so. Hebrews chapter 5, and it also says it in Hebrews 2, that Jesus was made perfect by the things he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. It's not saying that Jesus was ever sinful. He was just never completed. He had to fulfill every righteous requirement of covenant for us. And so Jesus fulfilled God's original intention. When God, God had a dream in the garden and he formed Adam and Eve out of the dirt, Adam out of the dirt and Eve out of his rib and presented him back. And God had a dream for this man and this woman to live in covenantal relationship. And through them, God's kingdom would be manifest on the earth. And this royal couple failed and handed the 
entire world over to the enemy. And so Jesus came as the second Adam and fulfilled every righteous requirement that God ever had for man. Let, let, let's approach it this way. You can say it this way, that man, there was, there was a, a dilemma that stood between man and God. That dilemma was called guilt, but it manifested in two ways. There was di- the, the divine problem of legal guilt. Adam and Eve, man, we followed in their, in their footsteps. We have all sinned, and we were apart from God. That was legal guilt. That was the divine problem. But there was a human problem as well, psychological guilt that keeps us from God. There are a lot of believers that have entered into the solution of legal guilt through the blood of Christ, but still deal with the psychological guilt of identifying with their past. And if we really understand covenant, covenant will satisfy both problems. It will solve both problems. The problem of legal guilt is that Jesus fulfilled every righteous requirement that God ever had for man and then hung on the cross and cried out this phrase, it is finished. I would propose to you what he was saying, uh, what he was speaking about when he said it, it is finished is God's plan for man. Every righteous requirement that God ever required of man was fulfilled by Jesus. And then he gave up his spirit. And we know in Hebrews chapter nine that after his resurrection, Jesus presented the Father with the blood like the high priest would do once a year. And for the first time and the last time in all of human history, there was a man who had achieved righteousness based on his own behavior. He had earned the right to walk boldly into God's presence and present himself. The life of Jesus was in the blood. He was presenting the fulfilled life, the the life that had fulfilled every requirement that God had for man. That's what was in that blood. And when he did that, it met the legal requirement. But it also, if we understand how to use the blood, satisfies the psychological problem that we have of psychological guilt. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He loves to remind you of your past. He loves to remind you of things you did 20 years ago and things you did this morning. And if he can do that, he can keep you out of the presence of God. And so we need to learn how to apply the blood to our own hearts. Because the enemy, if he can keep you disconnected from God relationally, if he can keep you out of God's presence, he's kept you from the source for you to live a righteous life. Because God has more in store for you than just legal righteousness. This stamp on the file in heaven that you're made righteous. He wants to give you actual living righteousness down here. He doesn't want you just to walk in forgiveness. He wants you to walk in freedom. But the foundation of your freedom is your forgiveness. Because if the enemy can keep you psychologically connected to your own identity and feeling guilty, you will produce the fruit of your own guilt. But if he can sever you from that old identity and help you to understand you are made righteous and you can stand in that righteousness, you will produce the fruit of your own belief system. 
and the righteous life of Christ will be manifest in your body. I remember years ago, I, I struggled so much with condemnation when I first got saved. And the reason was, is because I was sincere. And some of you are in the same place. The enemy actually leverages your sincerity against you. You could put it this way. Sincerity, when coupled with bad theology, will lead to condemnation. A lack of sincerity plus bad theology will not cause you to be condemned because you don't care. And sincerity coupled with good theology won't lead to condemnation because you know who you are. But when you have bad theology and you think in some strange way you've got to earn God's favor and you're not entering in on the righteousness of Christ, then you, the enemy will leverage your sincerity. And the more sincere you are about your walk with God, the more he will marginalize you and keep you out of the throne room and keep you from the source of your own righteousness. I remember when I, I'd just gone to work for Teen Challenge and there was a guy that had come to work there. We were in, in devotions one morning. The staff used to have, have uh, devotions together while the students did theirs and then we had chapel together. And uh, one, of the, one of the staff members shared with us, we were in the book of Jonah. And he said, you know why Jonah hated the Ninevites? Because they would torture people. And he went on to explain a couple ways they would torture people. And I'm thinking, dude, did you really have to give us that kind of picture this time of morning? One of the things he told us, and I'm going to do it to you. Uh, he said uh, they, would, they would line up their captives on a line and they'd say, if you can make it across this field before we catch you, you're a free man. What they didn't know is that they had made bets on how far the guy could run without his head. And they would chase him on a horse and with a long sword chop his head off and his body would keep running and then fall over and they'd laugh and laugh and they thought that was funny. And I was looking at him like you're looking at me. Like, why did you tell us this? Then I went to chapel and as we're in worship in chapel, I'm worshiping the Lord and the, God, the Lord spoke to me very clearly and he said this, Dave, that's exactly what the enemy does to you. He tries to sever you from the head, which is Christ, and makes bets on how long you'll last. It's the sword of condemnation that severs you from the head, which is Christ. But when we're connected with him, righteousness happens. We need to have a new, new bumper sticker, Heartland. Righteousness happens. To replace it with the other one, you know, righteousness. It will happen when you're connected with him who is the head. He's your source. It will come through you. But it's that understanding that I'm accepted. I need to get into the throne room because that's my source. I, if I need grace for forgiveness, I need to get in the throne room and secure it so I can get out from underneath that psychological guilt. And if I need grace to face the day, that's where I, I need to abide in him. And so it's understanding how to use the blood. So catch this, the blood of Jesus has satisfied every requirement God has for man. When God began to deal with me in 1988 about this subject, 1987 and 1988, he began to talk to me about the blood and explain this to me. And I would, I would go through these mental gymnastics when I'd get into worship. I would picture myself outside the throne of God and there was an angel carding us. Okay, do you have an ID so you can get in? You do have, it was, but it wasn't an ID, it was to check our righteousness. This is what worked for me. And I would show him the bowl of blood 
And I knew the one thing God required for me to get in there in his presence was a perfect life. And I would say, God, I don't have it in and of myself, but I've got it in this blood. And I would picture the Lord saying, come in boldly and worship. And it, I began to retrain my mind to enter in by the blood of the Lamb. There is a blood on the threshold of God's presence. And if you can understand that blood, you can get in and stand boldly before the throne of grace. And there are some of you that need to learn how to use the blood. There's an application towards God. And there's an application towards the enemy. When it says they overcame him, it was the enemy by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, their love not their life unto the death. So there's an application of, of using the blood as a weapon towards the enemy in his condemnation. And the way we do that is we apply it to our own heart and we understand that I'm made righteous by what he did. I, don't, I, I can never be righteous enough on my own. I'll never outgrow my need to enter by the blood of the lamb. But once you become secure in that, I'm telling you, that's when righteousness begins to spring forth in your behavior on a consistent basis. One of the primary ways the enemy will keep you locked into old behaviors is through guilt and condemnation and despair. And you give up. And just to relieve yourself of that psychological guilt, we go and we begin to indulge ourselves in other things again. And so this thing of the blood is crucial. So we're gonna receive communion this morning. We're gonna enter by the blood. I want you to, if, if you don't have one of these, if the ushers could just go ahead and, uh, if you don't have one, just raise your hand and we'll get, get one of these little containers here. And uh, if you could peel this off. Last time I spilled juice all over my white shirt, so I didn't wear white today. And we're going to take the bread first. And we need to understand the significance of Jesus breaking the bread first. You remember where Jesus said to the man, the crippled man, he said, your, your sins are forgiven. And the, the teachers of the law gasped. Who does he think he is? And Jesus says, oh, I, I discern your thoughts. He said, well, is it easier for me to say pick up your mat and walk. He healed him, and with that, he showed there's a connection between our physical healing, the effects of sin, and sin itself. I'm not saying if you have sickness in your body, it's because you violated God. I'm saying sin entered the world, and sickness itself is a result of sin entering into the world. And Jesus took care of both. He could have avoided tremendous pain, he could have took a shortcut and said, hey, it's good enough that I've given, given, given them heaven as an eternal home. They can deal with their sickness till they get here. But he didn't do that. He went to the whipping post. So just take that. Would you hold that before the Lord? King Jesus, we thank you. Just thank him right now. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you went to the whipping post you endured the shame, the pain, the trauma for our healing. And Jesus, right now, I ask that you would enter in on this covenant meal. And Lord, those that are dealing with trauma, God, that you'd begin to lift it off of them right now. God, those that are dealing with shame and guilt, 
Lord, rejection, all these effects of the fall. Lord, the chastisement of our peace is upon you. Lord, we ask that you would release your peace. And God, help us to enter in by faith and receive what you paid the price for. Lord, heal bodies this morning. Lord, even those that are watching by the internet this morning, God, we just release your healing. If you're watching this morning, I want to encourage you, lay your hands on your body. And Lord, we just, we release healing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's eat the bread. It's a very generous word for what we just ate, isn't it? Let's hold the cup up before the Lord. Hallelujah. Now I want you to picture this. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. In this cup is the righteousness of God. That's how you need to see it. Every righteous requirement that God has for man has been provided. He lived a life to the full and then gave up the ghost. It's in this cup right here. So if you're struggling with guilt or regret, don't live that way anymore. Put it behind you and enter into his righteousness. It's a new day in Christ. His mercies are new every morning because it's always available to us to have a new day and start anew. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your blood. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.